Hey, go ahead and, uh, yeah. Man, isn't it good uh, to just come into the house of the Lord and worship the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, he said, when you boil it all down, here's, here's how you can sum up everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Isn't it good to just come into God's house and say, God, by the way, I love you. And we've done that this morning. Can we thank the worship team? Uh, just God bless you. Thank you, guys. Um, all right, I, I want us to just dive right into the subject this morning. I'm going to be wrapping up a sermon series on generosity. And, and I know, uh, you know, just like Brian said last week, man, this subject makes us nervous, right? And by the way, didn't Brian do a great job on the message last Sunday? Amen? I loved it. And uh, that, that was a pretty uh, tepid applause there, but uh, I, I thought it was an amazing message. And, and here's, here's the thing I want you to get, you know. You may be thinking right now, oh, no, 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 I'm going to head for the exits right now. But let me encourage you, just chillax, all right? Uh, I love some of the stats that I ran across. Brian gave you some last week. Here are a few others. Did you know that there's over 2,300 verses on money, wealth, and possessions in the Bible? Stop and think about that for a moment. 2,300 verses. And in the research that I read, and even I'm like, really? I wonder if that's true. And I do wonder if it's true. But I know for a fact it's true that I read it in the research that I read. And here's what it said. Jesus spoke about money almost 25% of the time. Amazing. And, and the research also said one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels deals with money. Here's the reality. The Bible really does talk a lot about money because God knows where our money is there. Our heart is going to be also. And so it is a heart issue. And so Jesus never shied away from talking about money. So if Jesus talked about it 25% of the time, we can talk about it two Sundays out of 52. Amen? Yeah. That's better than I thought I was going to get. I love that. So, so I know, though, you're probably sitting there going, so why, why generosity? I mean, you get the idea of budgets and church budgets and all, but why? Seriously, why is generosity so important to Jesus that he'd talk about it 25% of the time? Here's, here's what I want you to understand. Don't, don't even think that this is the sermon. We're just talking right now, okay? So, so I'll start the sermon in a minute, but, but just let me, let me just say this real quick, okay? You are wired for generosity. I want you to just let that soak in for a moment. Uh, just, I'm wired for generosity. Just say that. God made me for generosity, all right? Now, now, just try it out on your neighbor. Just turn to your neighbor right now and just say, God wired you to be generous. Just say that right now, all right? And, and, and go ahead and tell that same neighbor now. And, and by the way, God, God, God's placed a, a list of needs on my heart, and I'll give them to you at the end of the service. Uh, so, uh, Don't worry about it. Uh, that's all right. Hey, you, you're wired for it. Did you know there's an incredible verse of scripture that says this? It is more blessed to give than to receive. More. Imagine that. More blessed. 
Now, that's not saying that it's not blessed to receive. The reality is uh, we're kind of deceiving ourselves if we don't think that we like receiving. And by the way, if you're sitting there going, no, 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 I don't like to receive, and I'm really proud of that fact, okay? I'm a giver, not a taker. Well, you know what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and he wants you to receive his son with joy and gladness. And so there is blessing in receiving. Can we all agree on that statement? Yes, yeah. But Jesus is just saying, hey, you know what? I am the one who wired you. I'm the one who made you. And you need to understand, if you want to up the excitement level of this this thing called following Jesus, you want to up the joy, you want to up just the fascination with this journey of walking with Jesus, he said, you got to come on over a little more to the generous side because it is more blessed even to receive than it is, uh, more blessed to give than it is even to receive. I saw this lived out in living color this past week. One of my granddaughters had her seventh birthday. I know, I know. You're thinking, how could you have a granddaughter who's seven years old already? We started early, trust me. Okay, come on. (laughs) Seventh birthday. And all the aunts and uncles and Lovey and Pop were there. And and so we all brought gifts. And and my four-year-old granddaughter, who's here this morning, so she's going to go, is he talking about me? No, I'm not talking about her. So anyway, she, she, she just appointed herself as the one who was going to be the giver of the gifts. And she would go and she would get a gift. And you should have been there. You should just see her face. Her face was just beaming as she was carrying those gifts to her sister. And there was so much joy and and she was just like saying, Reagan, you are going to be so amazed at this gift that I got for you. You're going to love it. And we're both going to enjoy it as soon as you open it. And I figure out what's inside the box. It's just, there's joy in giving. And I saw it in a four-year-old's face this past week. Now, you and I were designed to give. There's this verse of scripture that says, uh, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That means when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, he put to death the old you and he rewired you in such a way that when he raised you up a whole new creation in Christ, he said, I wired you for generosity. I created you. I made you. This is, this is not Jesus saying, hey, you need to be more generous. This is Jesus saying, let me introduce you to... To to you, this is who you are. This is how I made you. So that when we begin to practice generosity, our soul begins to breathe. We're like a fish in the water. But when we're saying, no, 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 I've got to have 100% of my take-home pay, and I can't share any of it. I can't give anyone else any of it. I'm struggling just to make ends meet now, and i got to keep it, and i got to hoard it, and i got to hold on to it because I can't make it. When you do that, what happens is your soul is like a fish out of water, and your soul can't breathe and your soul begins to atrophy and shrivel up because you're not living out of who you are. You're not living out of who Jesus made you to be. You see this all the way back in the book of Genesis, Cain and Abel. I mean, there's only Adam and Eve by the time you get to Genesis chapter four and Cain and Abel. And don't jump ahead of me to, you know, Cain killing his brother, to God accepting Abel's gift and not accepting Cain. Just just stop it before you go that direction and just hear something that's amazing. Uh, 
Cain goes out and he plants his crops. Uh, Abel goes out and he raises his flocks. And then notice what it says. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Did you catch what it said? Cain and Abel both brought an offering. Why did they bring an offering to God? There was no Old Testament at the time. There was no Old Testament law. There was no Old Testament prophets. There had been no sermon series on generosity that they had heard. So why are they bringing an offering? Because it was in their wiring. That's the way God made us. I want to say this. I believe with every fiber of my being. God wired you and me, our soul for generosity, every bit as much as he wired us to walk. Now, now I know that uh, there are accidents and disabilities and uh, just challenge, and some people can, but I'm just saying, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that the human body, God designed it to walk. He wired it to walk. Uh, let me tell you what happened with you. Uh, when you were just born, uh, you, you started trying to roll over. If, you, if your mom and dad put you on your back, you tried to roll over on your belly. If they put you on your, on your belly, you tried to roll over onto your back. And the first time you made it, you were looking up, you were going, did you see that? Mom, dad, did you see I just, you put me on my belly. I just rolled over onto my back. <laughs> I'm a child prodigy. And then, and then one day, do you remember this? You, you remember, right? You, you realized you could pull your legs up under you, and, and then you kind of did a push-up, and before you knew it, you were kind of up on all fours, and, and you started kind of crawling, and, and you were shaky at first, but you crawled, and you crawled, and you're like, Mom, Dad, look at this. I'm crawling. I'm probably the first human being who's ever figured this out. I'm so amazing. And then you noticed. Do you remember this? You noticed how everybody around you, they weren't crawling they were standing and walking. And so you're like, anything you can do, I can do better. And so you started pulling up and you were slobbering all over everything, the coffee table and the couch. And you were standing there like a drunken sailor and you kept falling down, but you'd pull yourself back up. And then your mom and dad did something. You'll remember this. You were 12 months old, give or take a month or two. Your mom and dad, they, they got down in front of you and they held out their arms and they said, you can walk. You can do it. Just take a step. Just take a step. And you remember what you said? You know what you said. You said, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. No, no. I'll fall and it will hurt. And your mom and dad, they were there and they were going, no, no, no. Well, look at our arms. We're two inches away from you. Besides, you're slow. Everything you do is slow. You pull up slow. You fall slow. We know you're going to fall before you know you're going to fall. We're going to catch you. Just take a step. Why were they so intense? Why were they so emphatic? Because they knew God wired you to walk. And so they knew if you just take one step, it would lead to two, and then two would lead to three, and before you know it, that third step would lead to walking. And then it would lead one day to dancing at your senior prom. Just deny that you're a Baptist while you're there and just do it, man, go for it. 
And then they knew, and then they knew it would lead to running. And then they knew that, that maybe if it's in God's will uh, that you would walk down an, altar, an aisle someday or maybe, maybe stand at an altar while the most beautiful girl in the world walks down the aisle and you know that you're the luckiest man on, the, on planet Earth. See, your mom and dad were saying, take a step, take a step. Because they knew you were wired to walk and dance. And they knew you were wired to hike up Castle Rock. Have you ever done that? Just go ahead and put it on the bucket list right now. Just trust me before I even tell you the story of Castle Rock. You gotta hike up Castle Rock. Kim and I did it a couple of years ago. It's in Purgatory, Colorado, just about a mile south. And, and, and it's just designed, it says, to be this two and a half hour hike, just basically straight up this massive mountain. And trust me, it's a lie. It's not two and a half hours. But listen to me on this one, okay? You gotta hear me. When you get two and a half hours up, just go ahead, take a break, take a breather, and then finish hiking the rest of the way up like Kim and I did, Okay? Because when you get to the top of Castle Rock, you're gonna, you're gonna be saying, God wired me to hike up Castle Rock. Because you're gonna see the world from a whole different perspective. Kim and I took a, a selfie while we were up there. I think I've got a picture of it. And, and, and listen to me, if you see kind of to the left of my head over there, I mean, that, that little gray, that's a road. I tell you, the cars were, were as small as matchboxes, but that'd be a lie. They were more like little dots. You can't even see the cars on the road. And you're just up there and you're just going, wow, I was created to hike up Castle Rock. And God, the creation is so amazing. And it's not beyond the pale to believe that Jesus Christ is here this morning and he's kneeling down in front of you and he's saying it's so much more blessed to give than receive. I wired you for generosity. Take the step. And I know what you're saying. No, 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 no. I'll fall, I'll fall. And Jesus is going, no, you're slow. And I'm fast. And my arms are right here. And my hands will catch you. Take step because Jesus knows when you begin to step into generosity you're going to see the world from a different perspective you're going to see other people the way Jesus does and generosity is going to begin to invade every area of your life. And you're going to begin to encounter other people with this idea, not what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? Not what can I take from you, but what can I give to you? You're going to begin to see others the way Jesus sees others. And you're going to begin to pray, God, would you just use me as a priest in this person's life that I'm encountering today at the office or at school or in my neighborhood? Let me stand between them and you and let me just use me, God, to nudge them closer to you today. See, it's amazing when you take a step towards generosity. You begin to see the world from a whole new perspective. And by the way, you know generosity is more than just money, right? I mean, there's this incredible verse that, that I was really planning to use as the text for my sermon until I looked it up and realized what it was saying. I looked up the verse on giving that says, given, it'll be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, 
uh, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. But then I began to study the text and, and I looked at what was before and I looked at what came after it. And here's what it says before. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Judge not and you won't be judged. Condemn not and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. And then it adds the part on giving and God will give back to you, press down, running over. And then it immediately goes back to, why are you so worried about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye? Take care of the log in your own eye before you start worrying about the speck in your brother's eye. It gets right back to this idea of judging and condemning. And I started reading in all the commentaries, like, what's going on? Why in the middle of, hey, be merciful, don't judge, don't condemn, do forgive, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye. Why does he insert giving in the middle of that? Because as all the commentaries say, he's not talking about giving money. He's talking about giving mercy and compassion and the benefit of the doubt and not judgment and condemnation. He's talking about giving forgiveness instead of holding grudges. He's talking about generosity that is so much bigger than a buck. And finally, when we begin to practice generosity, he says, first of all, you're wired for it. Your soul's gonna breathe. Second, it's gonna invade every area of your life because it's so much bigger than money. And finally, when you begin to practice generosity, you need to understand this. Let me just make this point and then I'm gonna start the sermon, okay? I'm still just talking, so are you still with me? He says, just, just, you got to understand this. When you begin to practice generosity, you're always going to get back more than you give. You ever heard the saying, you can't outgive God? I want to see by a show of hands, don't lie, but if you don't raise your hand, we are going to try to shame you, okay, into <laughs> raising your hand. How many of you believe that, that you can't outgive God? Let me see a show of hands right now. Yeah, that's almost all of you. <coughs> Listen to me. If you just go to the triumphal entry, maybe you've read that story, maybe you haven't. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Jesus is about to make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and he teaches us a mighty powerful lesson on the fact that you can't outgive God. Jesus is approaching this village before he enters Jerusalem and he tells two of his disciples, I want you to go into the village and you're gonna find a donkey tied up. I want you to get the donkey for me. And if anyone says anything to you, then here's what you say. You tell him, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Now stop and think about the craziness of that statement. The Lord needs them. Like God needs anything from us. Like God's trying to bum a buck off of you today. Like God needs anything. This is the God who said, let there be an expanse above. And just by spoken word, the Milky Way is formed. Let there be light and the sun is formed. Let there be water. And the oceans are gathered up just at the command of his word. Let there be birds and the sparrows took flight and the eagles began to soar. That same God could have said, let there be a donkey. And I'm telling you, standing before him would have been a donkey saying, here I am, sir. You need to ride somewhere by my name is Uber and I'm happy to serve you. You say, donkeys can talk. Jesus can create a talking donkey if he wants to. And the donkey in my story talks. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? And some of you are thinking, wow, 
Yeah, that's true. Jesus could just create a, a golden goose that lays golden eggs and give one to every church. And, and then he would never have to say, the Lord needs your generosity. Anyone? Just anytime the church needs money, we could just have an egg sale. So why? Why generosity? Because Jesus says, he asked the guy for his donkey so that he could ride on the back of that man's generosity into Jerusalem and do a work of grace for about two or three billion people and counting. See, God, God always rides on the back of our generosity into your Jerusalem. And he makes history, he changes lives. And in the process, get this, he always gives us back more than we give, right? I mean, this guy who gave Jesus his donkey, I mean, he got back more than he gave. In my understanding of the story, the guy gets his donkey back. I mean, after all, that Friday morning, they crucified Jesus, not the donkey, right? And all of a sudden you hear, hey, the Messiah needs to borrow your donkey. And so all of a sudden you're going, well, I'm going to tag along and see what's happening. And the guy sees the triumphal entry. He sees the palm branches. He sees people crying out, Hosanna. And he sees them declaring, this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then Jesus dismounts. And, and what's he going to do with the donkey? I believe he just handed the reins to the guy. And the guy takes his donkey home. And he puts his donkey up. And then he goes into his house and he says, honey, you would never believe what happened today. The most amazing thing, the Messiah came into town, the Messiah entered in Jerusalem, and the whole town showed up and declared him to be the king of kings. I don't know what he's about to do, but I know he's about to do something amazing. And honey, we have a part in whatever he's going to do because he rode our donkey into Jerusalem. That's what he does. So you and I give to God our generosity and then God rides our generosity into an orphanage in Honduras and he changes the eternal destiny of some orphans. We give to God our generosity and he rides into a re-engaged class and he saves a marriage that has been wrecked. And I'm telling you, God takes our generosity in the form of prayer and fasting and he rides that into our Jerusalem and changes life. Do you know that we've got some students? I mean, they're, they're on a, a high school retreat this weekend, but we've got some students in our church who are fasting and praying for lunch every Monday. And they're fasting and they're praying that God will move in their school. And those same students then are involved in putting on a Jesus club in their school. And then they're offering alpha classes in their neighborhoods. And, and this past Monday, those students were gathered together. They're fasting and praying. They even talked to Graham Varnell, who's on our staff and works with the students. And, and they even talked about, should we stop fasting and praying? And, and they all decided together, no, we're going to continue to fast and pray. And so this past Thursday at the Jesus Club, and they call it a Jesus Club because they want everybody to know what the subject is going to be. If you come to the Jesus Club, they're going to be talking about, help me out, going to be talking about Jesus. And so this past Thursday morning at that school, four young ladies from a Muslim background walked in 
And by the time they finished talking about Jesus, Jesus rode the generosity of their prayers and their fasting into that classroom and into one of those students' hearts who said, how do I learn more about this Jesus that you're talking about? Jesus rides our generosity into classrooms and he saves people. Generosity. God always makes sure that you and I get back more than we give. Let me just leave you with a few thoughts. Number one, when it comes to generosity, the first step is always the hardest. Right now, Jesus is going, I got you, I got you. Take a step, take a step. And you and I are going, no, 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 we'll fall, it'll hurt. And Jesus is going, no, no, I got you, take the step, take a step anyway, even if you're afraid. Brian, last week, kind of laid out what a first step looks like. You can move in your generosity from giving nothing to God and just kind of keeping it all for yourself to giving something to God or move from giving something to giving specific, and, and that is a percentage, or move from giving a specific percentage up to giving the tithe, which is 10%, or move from giving the tithe up to giving in spirit-led giving. But my encouragement to you is to take a step. First step's always the hardest. And then understand this. It gets easier as you go. Every step towards generosity that Kim and I have taken, it's been challenging at first, and then you kind of get adjusted to that standard of living. And by the way, everybody has to adjust to a standard of living. I don't care if you make $100 or a million dollars. You gotta adjust to a certain standard of living. And anytime you begin to give away, you begin to kind of lower your standard of living a little bit. You squeeze it a little bit. And it's tough at first, but it gets easier as you go. Kim and I both, tithed when we got married. And so we continued that. And when we first started tithing in college, that was a huge step. College kids can't live on 90%, except Kim and I both did. And then we got married. And then uh, we started you know, my first church, 1984, Cristobal, Texas. Man, uh, the very first paycheck, we held out 10% for retirement. And I'm telling you, I'm like, oh, oh, we can't live on 80%. But, but we adjusted to that. And it was a few years later that we decided, wait a minute, we can't just live paycheck to paycheck. And so we were about 25, 26, and we just decided, okay, we're gonna start saving and investing 10%. So 10 to God, 10 to retirement, and 10 to in investments and savings. So now we're living on 70%. And I'm telling you, it's not easy at first. I can remember Kim literally with tears in her eyes in Columbus, Georgia, three kids just tell me, you know, just one time I'd like to go to the grocery store and just be able to buy what we need and not worry about how much it costs. And so last week she's going, man, I'd love to be able to just go buy what I need. And no, it get, you get, it gets easier as you go. You adjust your standard of living to either 100%, and that's gonna be tough. You always want more, or 90%, or 80%, or 70%. Final thing is this. Not only does it get easier as you go, but you'll never regret what you give away. You know that, right? You'll never regret what you give away. I've never once 
tried to calculate, okay, Kim and I started tithing in college and, and then we've done it the whole way through. Uh, here's been my average salary. If I added all that money up, man, I'd like to have all that money back. I'd go, I'd go, I'd go buy me a, a boat <laughs> with a Yeti. I'm gonna start writing country songs. <laughs> never once, never once. One time we gave away a car that, that I mean, 200,000 miles on it, over 15 years old. It's probably worth all of $1,500. Just somebody needed it. We gave it away. We were in a place where we could buy a new minivan like good godly parents do. Amen. And so, but I've never once sat around thinking, man, I wish I'd have sold that car about 20 years ago. Wish I had that $1,500 now. If I did, I'd go, I'd go um, fill my car up with gas. You'll never regret what you give away. You'll never once regret it. So here's the invitation. Richard's gonna come and just talk specifics on how to take the step. But here's the invitation. Take the step. Take the step. Jesus is saying, I've got you. I've got you. Take the step. Even though you're afraid, take the step anyway. 